Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Silicon Valley employs a lot of skilled Ukrainian tech workers. And quite a few startups have Ukrainian founders too, most famously WhatsApp's John Kuhn. As Ukrainians globally pitch in to resist Russia's advance, tech workers are banding together to use their skills to aid the Ukrainian resistance. We'll check in with tech workers in the Bay and Ukraine who are fighting Russian propaganda and cyber efforts as well as handling logistics to marshal supplies and move refugees. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be joined this morning by several members of the tech community, both in Ukraine as well as here among the 20,000-strong Ukrainian community in the Bay. These are people whose country is being battered by a brutal Russian invasion. Their friends and relatives are in dire need of help, and they've realized that they have valuable contributions to make, whether from inside the country or here in California. First, I want to introduce Bowdoin Kit, head of product for Tumblr. He's based in Ukraine, where he's helping manage a team called Kolo that snapped together to facilitate purchasing and delivering supplies to people on the front line. Thanks for joining us, Bowdoin. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're also joined by Igor Markov, a member of the board of directors of Nova Ukraine, which is a nonprofit that was born after Russia invaded Crimea in 2014. In his day job, he's a research scientist at Meta. Welcome, Igor. Good morning. But and let's start with you. Can you just tell us where you are right now and what the last three weeks have been like for you? Um, I'm I'm currently in Mountain View, California, and uh, the last three weeks have been very difficult. Um, I, of course, still try to keep up my day job, but uh, most of the effort uh, goes to activities uh, through Nova Ukraine, uh, the nonprofit that. Uh, um, helps people of Ukraine in all the ways we can. We raise funds and uh, we support uh, projects in Ukraine, support deliveries. So uh, a lot of logistics, a lot of uh, trying to uh, keep up with the events and coordinating the efforts. Yeah. And before the last uh, few weeks, what was Nova Ukraine doing as an organization? Yes, for uh, a number of years, since 2014, Nova Ukraine uh, was... Uh, um, raising funds and, and uh, supporting uh, people of Ukraine uh, in 
peacetime, of course, uh, although the, the war in, in the east of Ukraine is still considered a war, so it wasn't really peacetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had projects of many different kinds. We supported uh, um, disadvantaged people, internally displaced people, uh, disabled people, children. Uh, we um, held cultural events, um, mostly in Ukraine, but also some in the Silicon Valley. Uh, we um, shipped um, um, computers to uh, schools. Uh, we um, held um, shows of Ukrainian cinema and readings of Ukrainian poetry. Uh, in 2020, we had a very successful project to um, uh, send uh, personal protective equipment to Ukrainian medics mm. uh, at the time of COVID uh, because they were affected by COVID disproportionately. Bowden, um, let's turn to you. Can you tell us where you are right now um, and what you've been doing in Ukraine? Yeah, sure. So I'm in the western part of Ukraine now, in the city of Ternopil, which is close to Lviv, mm-hmm. and about you know 150 kilometers from the Polish border. Okay. And uh, I moved here on the first day the invasion happened on February 24th. I just got a call from my girlfriend. She was crying, basically in fear, saying that the war has broke out and Putin decided to invade Ukraine. And, you know, a couple of days before that, it seemed like an unbelievable outcome. Yeah. But it did happen, and uh, it was around 5 a.m. I didn't sleep that night. It was like, you know, I got only like an hour of sleep. I was all over the news trying to read and see what was the rationale behind that decision. And, you know, I usually hear like people in the West, especially in the United States, we're talking about Putin, like this rational actor in international relations, and that he was capable of, you know, holding negotiations and we could do something to avoid this. But at the end of the day, I think there is a huge misconception in that kind of belief because Mr. Putin is definitely not a rational actor. He's been in power for more than 20 years now in Russia. And it's clearly, it's, it's a clear fact that basically he got addicted, you know, to the kind of authoritarian power that he has now so he just wants to resurrect the kind of you know the resemblance of the russian empire and bring some of that back so he decided to invade a sovereign and independent nation Mm -hmm. a country you know a democratic country of 44 million people in the center of europe so that was just unbelievable and uh, yeah we decided to leave kiev and uh, came here to the western ukraine and at what point did you realize, okay, I'm not going to grab a, a gun and head to the front lines, but there are things that I can do with my skill set? I think, you know, at the point when the war just started, so I felt fear. But now, and I think after a couple of days or even a day, it turned to a complete anger and like wanting to defend my country. But I'm also a rational person. I know I don't have any military training. You know, like for the majority of my life, I've been a knowledge worker. I've been in university, then I started my career in tech. Uh, so currently I work also for uh, an American company, right, Tumblr. So I've never thought of myself as being, you know, like a military person or, ha- or I don't have any required training for that, to be able to hold it on and use it effectively to defend my country. But I also have some other, you know, talents and skill set that I can use to help uh, people who are standing out in the front line who have military experience and know how to use weapons to defend our 
independence. So I decided to use my talents to actually help them do that even better. So that's why we decided to organize a small charity, you know, fundraising campaign. I launched a website in the early days uh, when this invasion happened. It's called HelpUkraineWin.org. Uh, we just collected all the ways you can help. We also have a Nova Ukraine there listed as one of the potential mm-hmm. ways because it's 501c charity, right? And that's important, especially to folks in the U.S. So we just listed all the ways you can help as a foreigner. Also, later, we started to accept donations directly on the website. We also used those funds to transfer them to Colo, that initiative that I'm involved with that was created by other fellow product managers here in Ukraine. And we manage it as a group, you know, trying to procure equipment and necessary ammunition uh, to help our defenders, you know, basically save their lives because we have a huge shortage of supplies now in Ukraine. It's impossible to buy anything in the stores that is related, you know, to some kind of personal protection or like body armor. So currently we procure, procure the those things from EU, Turkey, US, and other countries and bring them to Ukraine. And we help with everything, basically trying to fundraise, find supplies abroad, and also ship them uh, to the places where they need it most. So how did you decide what specific items you were going to try and get into the country? Because it feels like, you know, when I look at the Colo website, you know, it's quadcopters and drones, it's it's body armor, it's night vision. Were there people that you were talking to who said, these are the things we need, we have, our supply chains are cut off, can you get this to us? Yeah, it was exactly in a kind of fashion, you know. So we had folks basically reaching out to us through all the network and saying, okay, we really need this. And they can be, you know, treated as a kind of like protective uh, kind of supplies that they need in order to save their lives because you need body armor when you plan to engage in a real life combat just you know to protect yourself basically so and we felt like that's something we could bring the most impact with basically just trying to use all of our network abroad to find those items you know also fundraise some uh, funds in order to finance the procurement of those items and then also use some of the, our contacts, you know, through logistics companies or just personal contacts from people in the Eastern Europe who have cars and can basically drive uh, those supplies across the border and bring them to Ukraine. And then we also find some local transport that can deliver them to the hot zones, hot spots, you know, to those defenders who actually need them most right now because they are on the front line, constantly trying to defend like cities against Russian aggression, for instance, Kiev, Mariupol, Kharkiv, those are the hottest zones right now. And folks there, they really struggle and need, you know, protective ammunition, uh, drones to do some, you know, intelligence, uh, kind of like investigations. And basically we're trying to protect the lives of our soldiers who are standing and doing the right thing now. Yeah. I mean, having gone through COVID here in the U.S. and seeing how many volunteers were involved in these efforts, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that, you know, what sounds like a military supply chain operation is being run by project managers um, from from IT companies. And I, I wonder, is this, does this just feel strange to you to be kind of employing the tools of your trade, project managing tools? I imagine it's a lot of the same software that you use day to day, but now you're like, okay, we need body armor and not um, things for advertising. 
Yeah, you're totally right here. That's, you know, I never thought that I would buy something like that or would need to procure those kind of items. Because I always thought that, you know, we had, we have more important things to do rather than increase, you know, military arsenal. But here is just a question of life or death. So we need to buy the, this stuff and get it delivered to our soldiers in order to help them protect themselves and defend our country. Because I'm sure you've seen those, you know, videos that are circulating right now. Russians, Russian army actually attacks our civilian objects. So they launch indiscriminate attacks on our cities. They don't even care whether a civilian or military ob objects there. They really want to spread fear. And people are afraid. You can see that, you know, from any videos because they've never experienced anything like that. And, you know, which brings me back to what I said before, that the emotion that I think so, feel strongly right now is anger. Anger towards those people who invaded our country and uh, basically brought this feeling of fear for, for mothers, you know, for children who have to basically leave their the place and cities where they live for the most of their lives and go to the western part of Ukraine or even abroad just to, you know, find peace and uh, just safe. stay safe. Yeah. We're talking with Ukrainian tech workers about what they're doing to aid the war resistance and provide help to Ukraine. We've been talking with Bowdoin Kit, head of product for Tumblr. He's based in Ukraine and is doing a whole bunch of things, trying to get supplies to the front lines. We're also joined by Igor Markov, member of the board of directors of Nova Ukraine, which is a nonprofit that provides support uh, to Ukraine. He's a research scientist at Meta. And we'd love to hear from you. Are you from Ukraine and are you in tech are you joining this effort to aid the war effort? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or your activities to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Ukrainian tech workers about what they're doing to aid the war resistance and provide help to the people of Ukraine. We're joined by Bowdoin Kit, head of product for Tumblr, who's working with other project managers to get supplies to the front lines, as well as Igor Markov, a member of the board of directors for Nova Ukraine, a nonprofit. Want to add another voice into our conversation, Val Homenchenko, who is an information security and compliance manager at Apple. Welcome, Val. 
So, Val, I, I know you don't want to concentrate on your own experience getting into and out of Ukraine with your family, but just for the, our listeners' context, can you tell us a little bit about your last couple weeks and, and what happened? Oh, 4 a.m., February 24, war has started. Uh, from there on, I really had no, no many choices, right? Hop on the plane, go back, pick up my wife and kid, and... Uh, Endure a very adventurous journey. I'm here. That's uh, is that short? That's short. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that short. I mean, I I think, you know, the the question that I think, you know, this poses for lots of us is, you know, you you have just a, a normal American family life, uh, family kids here in the U.S., and you have a war going on in your home country, and mm. I think. How are you thinking about that? Do you want to go back? Um, yes. You do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, I, I mean, I do share the same beliefs, but it's part on what uh, some of us need to do, what we do best. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do a lot of public work, uh, go to radios, go to TVs, raise the awareness, uh, create posts on Facebook, fight the Russian propaganda, fight with your senators and congressmen to actually do something more meaningful. Uh, but at the same time, any help, any hands up there helps too. Um, and I think it's, you know, uh, it's normal either way. Like being scared is normal, right? Being angry is normal. Wanting to go back is normal. Wanting to stay and do something else is normal. It's all normal. It's mm-hmm. like uh, uh, all sorts of emotions which are flowing. And the uh, uh, important thing is, is not go into the kind of a burnout phase, right? Because mm-hmm. the longer that drags, uh, the more and more, uh, people started to ask, uh, well, when is it going to be over, or if, or how is it going to be over, right? And that that plays a huge role in uh, human psyche. To morale in the human psyche, right? I mean, you got to have that uh, constant, uh, uh, you know, fueling your engines, let's call it this way. Uh, and everybody has different ways of doing that, right? Again, for most of us, anger is really good fuel. Uh, but but you cannot be on the peak all the time. If you're on the peak all the time, you're going to burn out a little bit. So uh, whenever I feel, you know, kind of, okay, it's been three weeks, yeah, day 21, 2021, uh, what do we do, right? Start doing something useful. There's a bunch of fundraisers, right? No, Ukraine, one of them. There's people, I know multiple people who are actually delivering uh, first aid kits and some tactical armor and some other stuff, uh, medicine. Uh, just put your energy into something useful. Yeah, yeah. You know, Igor, I wanted to come back to you. On a day-to-day basis, for people who are listening, what are the needs of your organization? I mean, everybody seems to know Nova Ukraine uh, in this community. Yes, um, this is, uh, of course, the question we get a lot. And uh, um, th- th- there are two kinds of things that can help us. Uh, one is um, uh, bulk packaged, clearly labeled uh, medical supplies. Uh, 
specifically those requested by the Ukrainian Ministry of Health and specific hospitals. Those are important because there, there are shortages of, of certain supplies. Uh, what we can get in Europe, we, we try to get there. Um, some things are uh, shipped from the US. Of course, the uh, air cargo capacity is limited. Therefore, clothes or food are, are not sent by plane now. And uh, in, in some cases, um, warehouses in Ukraine have uh, food and clothes, although uh, finding th the right items is difficult. And so in addition to, uh, to just finding these donations from local hospitals or from companies that produce them, uh, we, we do accept uh, uh, funds and, and we put them to good use. In many cases, we send them to volunteers in Ukraine who buy these things and deliver. Um, we also have uh, transportation companies as partners that uh, you know move uh, people, evacuate people um, from east to west in Ukraine. And on the trip uh, back east, they, they bring uh, uh, food and uh, medicine uh, that are needed. Val, uh, wanted to ask you about your day-to-day -day on, on the computer. You're talking about fighting Russian propaganda. Are you linked in with other groups of people who are giving you sort of assignments or saying, like, maybe you could do this, maybe you could channel energy here, this oh. is how someone with your skills could could contribute, oh. or are you finding your own kind of pathway? No, 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 no. no. I, um, I, I mean, I, I linked in with a lot of people, and we talk all the time, but the... Uh, doesn't have to be. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It's all it's all wide and open. I mean, you can still find a bunch of this on Facebook. Um, by the way, I, I'm constantly getting blocked on Facebook, which is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm restricted right now, right? Um, the reason I'm restricted because I actually wrote house that Russian propaganda still on Facebook. <laughs> I'm literally restricted right now for that. <laughs> Um, talking to Facebook is useless. I mean, I can tell you right now, like absolutely useless. Uh, I don't think those guys have any clues what we're doing. Uh, it doesn't take too much time to write a simple algorithm, which just goes and looks for specific memes, specific images or specific wording. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, those guys are becoming more and more creative because apparently we are getting blocked at all levels, right? So... We're changing their, uh, I guess, the headlines. So it's harder to find them, but still, uh, still, so pos still possible. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, as I said, uh, everybody find their chan channeling of their anger somewhere. Uh, arguing with those people uh, uh, is useless. You just go and block them. Yeah. The reason you block them is, uh, you want to stop their lies. Uh, their lies are toxic and poisoning. Uh, I actually having a numerous conversations with U.S. citizens who, well, up until to 24, had no clue where Ukraine is. You now it's kind of kind of funny. Uh, I've been in the U.S. for about 27 years, right? Uh, when most of the Russian immigrants, and when I say Russian, let me take it back. Uh, former Soviet former Union Soviet, yeah. came in here, uh, obviously multiple countries, right? Moldova, Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, name it. Uh, guess how we all call themselves here? Russian. Yes. Just to simplify things for Americans. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. So it, it's kind of an interesting, right? You start thinking about it, right? Wow, really? But we're not. But hey, it's easier, right? So I'm talking to a lot of U.S. citizens, former militaries, lots of seemingly smart people. And some of them already got their dose of Russian propaganda. Like some, some chick from North Carolina, uh, former military, she has no clue. She's like, oh, you guys been bombing Donbass and Lugansk for eight years. And I'm like, wow, really? Yeah. Well, she got it somewhere. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's not like it's, uh, you know, just magically appear in her head. And at the same time, when you start having uh, more or less uh, an intelligent conversation with her, she's like, oh, U.S. is a militaristic too. We bombed this, we bombed that, we bombed this, we bombed that. And I'm like, what is it has to do with the subject of the conversation? So it's like definitely uh, that propaganda is continuous spreading. And I think it's hitting the people at some levels and it needs to stop. Yeah. But in order to stop it completely, it, you know, it takes Facebook to change their philosophy a little bit, mm-hmm. which is kind of also funny because every time somebody posted anything in the past four years related to either COVID or Trump, it was very quickly fact checked and blocked. Why is it not happening with this war? I'm just wondering. Yeah. Val Komenchenko, Information Security and Compliance Manager with Apple. Thanks so much for for joining us and sharing your perspective with us. No problem. Thank you, guys. We'll talk with you. uh, Hopefully, we'll get a chance to check in with you again uh, as time goes on here, too. Thanks so much. Anytime. We're talking with Ukrainian tech workers about what they're doing to aid the war resistance and provide help to Ukraine. We are also joined by Bowden Kitt, head of product for Tumblr, based in Ukraine, and Igor Markov, a member of the board of directors with Nova Ukraine. I want to bring in our first caller, Anton from Los Gatos. Welcome. Los Altos. Hi, Excuse uh, me, Los Altos. No worries. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here. So, yeah, um, we're living in Los Altos for the last six years. And before that, we were based in Ukraine. So I guess it's around the time where we had our uh, revolution. We relocated at about the same time when the WhatsApp acquisition of WhatsApp happened. So we were kind of like a design team of WhatsApp based in Ukraine. Mm. So this is kind of like our story. Wow. And what are you doing now, Anton? I'm a product designer, head of design, uh, like last company I worked with was Neva search engine. And now I'm kind of like trying to be a founder, but for the last couple of months, I'm totally dedicated to kind of like helping Ukraine and kind of like keeping my eye on it and doing whatever I can to, you know, help stop this. And what are so you, I, yeah. What kind of actions are you taking to try and help uh, in the country? So it's kind of like an, uh, a different things, uh, And the, the last, the last thing is like we are organizing a fund to kind of help procure what is being requested by folks on the ground uh, in regional defense. So mostly it's uh, first aid kits, uh, helmets, vests, like whatever is needed because like they get a lot of volunteers and none of them are equipped. So 
we kind of like created a fund, sunflowerfund.co, and uh, uh, collected some some kind of like you know friends and like ex colleagues donations. So like now the first stage is being sent from uh, outside of US, not not from US, uh, and uh, yeah, it's 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 this, and then kind of like as Igor had said before me. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know, bus activity on Facebook where uh, a lot of uh, prominent Ukrainian journalists and then kind of like members of parliament and uh, even, you know, my wife's mom who is, uh, you know, is working in uh, parliament as a uh, press. Uh, she was blocked as well and kind of like oh, what I was doing, like yeah, I was trying to help unblock them. So, like, a lot of Ukrainians were cheating Facebook bans for the last eight years as a trophy. So, because, like, uh, people who moderate Russian and Ukrainian speech are usually coming from Russia and kind of, like, it definitely was skewed and kind of, like, they were, you know, banned for hate speech where in, in actuality there was no hate speech at all. So, yeah, this is kind of, like, what we try to do. That's so interesting. Hey, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with us, Anton. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Igor Markov, you know, because people keep mentioning it, I want to give you a a chance to respond. I know it's not your day-to-day job to do content moderation uh, at Meta, uh, which obviously has Facebook inside of it. But for you, as someone who both works there and also is hearing these things from, from fellow Ukrainians, like, where do you see as your responsibility inside the place? Uh, yes, yes. I, I, I'm a little limited as to what I can say about Meta, of course, but uh, I, I think uh, the the uh, information that was released by Meta makes it very clear that content moderation is is given a lot of weight and policies are adjusted uh, uh, dynamically because uh, everything is changing. Um, in, in practice, it's uh, difficult. Um, it's not as simple as you know finding patterns, as was mentioned before, because there's always counter speech. And so, uh, uh, you know, f- for example, there's a rumor, right, uh, of, of for example, Ukrainian troops uh, surrendering uh, in, in large numbers. But um, there would be many posts that uh, say this is not true. And so, if you just uh, look for words and, and pattern match, then you will uh, sweep everything, and, and this may be even worse. Uh, so, of course, efforts are made, and uh, I do have friends who are getting blocked. So this is a problem, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, uh, it, it's it's hard to find balance between you know blocking anyone who uh, is is uh, discussing the topic, and 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 uh, you know not, not blocking anyone, right? So finding this. Uh, um, compromise, finding the right uh, uh, degree of enforcement is very difficult. Right. Especially because we know on the sort of Russian side, one of their specialties from Crimea onward was finding, was getting Ukrainian voices blocked. Um, I mean, this has been like a long time developed uh, tactic there on the on the Russian side. Um, Bowden, I, want, I got a question from a listener for you. A listener says, I'm surprised that the Russian army has not taken out cell towers and other communication links. Uh, are the are you surprised by that? And what efforts are there to ensure that the communication infrastructure you have that you're using, obviously, even to talk with us and to, to get things to the front line um, is is maintained so you can keep in touch? Yeah, sure. You know, so I'm no military expert, but uh, some of my friends who were in the cities in like smaller towns, you know, surrounding Kiev, they were based there during when the active part of the combat 
between the Ukrainian army and Russian invaders happened, they said some of their Russian uh, soldiers, they were actually, you know, getting on uh, kind of of towers and tried to cut off any cell mm. connections and cell towers there. So they actually did try to do that. And I think they are still engaging because we just had an attack or on a TV tower in a city called Rivne, which is also in the western part of Ukraine, that TV tower was attacked. And I think for, you know, for some time, people in those cities, they don't have any TV service. But still, I think they just misunderstood, you know, the way modern communication works. Like I said, you know, I'm not a military expert, but some people, especially in Twitter, they've been pretty adamant about saying that Russian troops don't have a clear coordination between uh, their kind of air force and the ground troops. So that can be one possible root cause why they haven't been effective in cutting off the connection, especially the internet connection and the cell phone connection. But also they try to do that in some parts of Ukraine. Also, it's been really great, you know, our government uh, took a clear step and uh, made this public outreach which uh, was done by our Minister for Digital Transformation, Mikhailo Federal. He basically tweeted kind of, you know, like a public message to Elon Musk, asking him to supply some of this Starlink terminals. And I think it's great because currently we have a way to keep up the connection, even if, you know, any significant attack happens on behalf of Russians at our main kind of like connection connection points. Yeah. We're talking with Ukrainian tech workers about what they're doing to aid the war resistance, provide help to the people of Ukraine with Bowdoin Kit, head of product for Tumblr, and Igor Markov, a member of the board of directors with Nova Ukraine, also research scientist at Meta. We do want to hear from you. You can join us with your questions for them. We'd love to hear, especially if you're from Ukraine or you're in tech and working on this problem, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And you can email forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Ukrainian folks who are helping out to aid the war resistance and provide help to the people of Ukraine. We're joined by Bowdoin Kit, head of product for Tumblr, Igor Markov, a member of the board of directors with Nova Ukraine, which is a longstanding nonprofit 
helping people, humanitarian uh, help there. And we do want to hear from you. What are you doing to aid Ukraine in this war? If you are, give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You know our social handles, KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. I do want to bring in one other voice. Katerina Buchatsky is the co-founder of The Shadows Project and a student at Stanford. Welcome to the show, Katerina. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So before the war began, you're in Palo Alto at Stanford. Uh, Where are you now? How'd you get there? I'm in Krakow, Poland, and I got here a little over a week ago after, um, after the war began. It was kind of an impulsive impulsive decision, but I couldn't stay in Palo Alto. So I quickly contacted my friends that had fled from Ukraine and we all got to Poland together to see what we could do from here. So you just literally called your parents, got on a plane and flew towards Ukraine. That is pretty much what happened. I emailed my professors pretty much already on the plane, letting them know that I'm not, I'm not going to be in class that week. And uh, call my parents, just let them know of my plans. And I think they kind of knew that at that point, the decision had already been made and they just wished me best of luck. Yeah. Where are they? My parents are in the U.S. as of now. Okay. Okay. So you're in Krakow and you're with a lot of other Ukrainians there. What's your sort of like, how are you trying to channel your energy into helping your country? Right. Krakow has been an amazing place to be because the city is absolutely full of Ukrainians and not just my friends, but I meet Ukrainians here every day. And so it's a very energizing place to be. I think for me personally, as co-founder of the Shadows Project, it's a cultural organization in Ukraine. And so cultural preservation is very high on our list of priorities because a lot of cultural centers have been targeted by Russian attacks. Um, Just actually a few minutes ago, I got news that a theater had been bombed in Mariupol. And so we're losing a lot of these cultural heritage sites that are so important to our history and our identity. And so something that we're trying to organize here on behalf of the Shadows Project is we're coordinating directly with a lot of museums inside Ukraine to try and provide supplies for artistic preservation, preserve the monuments, so fireproof cabinets, fireproof blankets to cover up the art and make sure that it doesn't get harmed during the war. And so that's something that we've been working on a lot on behalf of Shadows from Krakow. Are there moments where you, that, that it just all feels unreal? Like, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, a month ago you're in the dining hall and, and now you're there. Yeah, I honestly, this is something my friends and I talk about almost every day. It really can feel so overwhelming sometimes and you can feel as though you're living an out-of-body experience because the decision was made for me to leave very quickly and I had never been to Krakow before. I don't really know anyone here. I don't have any friends here besides my Ukrainian friends. And so there was there have been a few moments where, you know, I'm mostly wrapped up in a lot of this energy and I'm constantly working and constantly doing things. But there's some moments where I take a moment to think and look around and think, where am I? I'm I don't know where I am. I'm in Krakow. I've never been here before. This isn't a familiar city. And sometimes there'll just be these small moments in the day where we're walking through the city to get to our next meeting or something of the sort. And I look around and I have no idea where I am. So I can definitely say that there have been moments where it feels unreal. Mm -hmm. 
And I imagine there's a pretty constant stream of refugees and displaced people coming through there. Is that going to be one of your areas of focus? Is like trying to trying to coordinate and help people who are in pretty desperate situation coming across the border? Yeah, it's something that, you know, we kind of try and help with as much as we can as on a case by case basis as it comes up. A lot of the times just because we are Ukrainians with a bit of a platform that are in Krakow. People will reach out to us with individual requests. Someone needs housing. They need to crash at my Airbnb for a few days, or someone is asking for a certain type of supply. And so on a case by case basis, my friends and I try our best to kind of put out all the fires as much as we can. Um, so it's definitely something that we're open to and we try and help as much as we can. Yeah. Do you have any plans to go closer to the front? Um, so I, I do have plans to take the train down to the border and try and see if I can help with any more direct efforts, just spend some days volunteering at the border with more on the refugee effort side. And, um, I'm trying my best to convince my parents to let me go into Western Ukraine to help the museums directly. I'm currently, as I mentioned earlier, we've already secured a lot of supplies for artistic preservation, and I'm trying to get them on a truck that I can drive into Lviv and meet with the museums there and kind of directly, um, directly, you know, protect the art as much as we can, put it in the cabinets and all of that. And so it's, it's a conversation that I'm having at home. <laughs> Katerina Buchatsky, Co-founder of the Shadows Project, student at Stanford. Hope to have you back safe and sound in the Bay Area when you can get back here. Thanks so much for joining us, Katerina. Thank you for having me. We have some uh, listener comments coming in I want to get to. Um, one listener asked, this one's for you, Bowden. What are the rules of people being conscripted into the Ukrainian army? Do you believe you'll be conscripted to join the fight? Yeah, there are actually several ways in how you can get conscripted. So one of them, if you already have military training and you went through the military service, which is obligatory in Ukraine, then you get you know stationed or allocated to a particular kind of military base where you wait for further orders and you're waiting to be deployed. Also, if you don't have any military training, then you get sent to a training camp where you go I'm not sure about, you know, the term and the duration of this training, but mm -hmm. I think it's several weeks where you just learn the basics of the boot military camp. operation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sort of like a boot camp. And then you also get stationed in a particular military base and also wait for further orders. So those are two ways. Uh, also, all men from 18 to 60, they cannot leave the country because of this widely announced mobilization so, and personally, I also can get conscripted. Uh, for now, I also see myself, you know, being more effective with this volunteering efforts mm -hmm. uh, just because I don't have any military training. Yeah. But of course, yeah. it's, it's always a possibility. Igor Markov, question uh, for you. Barbara asks, is there any way those who cannot contribute financially can help assist you or any other group? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. Uh, 
we we do have a volunteer sign up form on uh, the website novaukraine.org um as as uh, you can imagine we are getting a number uh, of volunteers signing up but there's certain skills we're looking for so by filling out that form you'll make it easier for us to select people with the right skills we also um are organizing rallies uh, uh here in the bay area and if you're at a different location we can connect you to rallies there i think that's uh, at least as important because it shows support uh to ukraine uh to the people of ukraine to uh the leaders of ukraine and these rallies, uh, they, they discuss the events and, and we uh, come up with some suggestions that we, what we would like to see. And in fact, many of the suggestions that we uh, voiced in these rallies, uh, such as you know, sanctions against Russia, um, they, they have been implemented. So uh, to some extent, this, this public discussion is, is working because we are in a democracy here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other question, this could be a simple answer. Uh, Jeff asks, I've traveled with a small international aid organization over the years to refugee sites and displaced person tent cities to provide general medical care. We're developing plans to go to Warsaw and then closer to the border. Have any of your guests in the last days indicated whether the Polish government is accepting international medical support groups or are there other contacts that we might make to bring a team to help displaced Ukrainian citizens? Igor, maybe this can go to you. If you yes, yes, sure. We, we do have volunteers in Poland, so I, I'm, I'm not uh, entirely up to speed on, on the official side of, of this question. We do have people who are in, in Krakow, um, who are Nova Ukraine volunteers. Uh, uh, we also have some uh, people who went to Poland and were able to uh, enter Ukraine. Some of them are American citizens. Uh, there are some people helping in Kiev. So I can... Uh, put people in touch with, with uh, you know, um, who is already there and uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, I also know that in Romania it is possible to help. Uh, the uh, amount of help uh, near the border is, is, is uh, significant. Uh, other people coming through Moldova to Romania and also through Romania to Bulgaria. So uh, there are definite possibilities. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to get your response. We have a, a call, which I'm turning into a comment only because we only have so much time before the pledge break from Jane in Santa Cruz, who had a friend who had a GoFundMe be blocked. And, you know, just based on this whole blocking discussion, one of the things I'm realizing is that there is help needed for people in kind of negotiating with the big tech platforms, which are dealing with these massive content moderation problems. Is that something that you all are, are helping out with or know who is? I think, you know, we also had many issues with the platforms like, you know, Patreon, they blocked one of the biggest charities in Ukraine, which has come back alive on the premise that they have asked for donations for weapons, but they just used, you know, some kind of images that kind of describe that. So it's tough right now because all of those platforms, they also limited by their own regulations in their own countries. So, and people want to do a good thing. So they just try to use every kind of, mean that is available there to you know fundraise and get money and get in order for it to be spent on humanitarian aid or to help ukrainian defenders so my recommendation is just use any tool that is available out there try it out also try to reach out to support to you know to ask for some kind of guidelines before you commit to the actual campaign uh, because it would save much more time 
in that case, you know, if you're violating something in your underwear, but you already have very significant uh, amount of funds, that can be frustrating. So it's probably better to kind of ask about that beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can go ahead, real go quick. Uh, I can second what Bogdan said, but let me add another side of this. Uh, we are seeing significant problems with uh, money transfers to Ukraine and some uh, systems were working but are not working anymore. For example, there's uh, a money transfer system called WISE. I think it's Chinese, but because of the sanctions on Russia, they um, had a technical problem. They couldn't really distinguish transfers to Ukraine, so surprising as it may seem. Uh, so we are trying to get to them and, and discuss this mm -hmm. at the technical level because many transfers are blocked. But even conventional wire transfers through US banks and Ukrainian banks are running into many problems. Um, and uh, I think support uh, at the level of bank executives here and also in Ukraine would uh, be very helpful yeah. to unblock these. Thank you so much. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information on how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. And we can keep going. I have a question, uh, Bowden, for you from uh, Minha, who asks, I heard uh, NPR one story about a woman in the UK sending protective gear to her Ukrainian brother who signed up for the military because all they get when they sign up is a gun. Can people donate bulletproof gear and or money for you to buy that equipment for them? Yeah, I don't think whether, you know, it's... Uh kind of like a widespread notion that you don't have protective gear. I think it can be just, you know, that particular case. Mm -hmm. And it's probably goes against like the objective truth that we have, but still people should, and if they can, they should and can help us uh, and buy, you know, some kind of equipment in their own uh, offline stores or like online and send it to designated warehouse. Um, maybe I can share, you know, some of those addresses after the program and you can share it across your social media. We have a designated warehouse in Poland and some other bordering countries. So people can send it there and it gets allocated to where it's needed most. Thank you so much. Uh, commenter Greg writes, my first language was Ukrainian after my grandparents escaped Ukraine from Russian invasion 75 years ago. There is no burnout. The struggle against Russian aggression is long and old and will last forever. Kicking two and a half million people out of their homes in a winter after COVID will never be forgiven. Jennifer in Berkeley, welcome to the show. Hey, I work for a nonprofit called TechSoup, and um, we get technology for other nonprofits and NGOs all over the world. And we have a very large office in, in Warsaw. And um, in Warsaw, uh, we immediately mobilized and our employees there doing everything, including meeting people at the train station and taking in refugees. But also we're working with um, uh, Ukrainian NGOs because we've had a bunch of programs there and we work very closely there. So um, if you want more information about TechSoup and TechSoup Europe and everything that we're doing for Ukrainian NGOs, um, you could find us on social media. But um, I know that many of our employees in Warsaw have just jumped right in and, um, you know, are translating and, you know, taking people in. And um, we also have a big program on fighting disinformation um, in Europe. So um, we're trying to get all of that out to um, help fight the, the uh, information war as well. 
Thank you so much for that, Jennifer. And Igor, I assume you have probably heard other stories like that, that technology companies based in the U.S. with large offices, you know, in, in Poland or Ukraine are, are getting involved. Um, y- yes. Uh, there, uh, for example, Google, I think, is housing some refugees in their office in Warsaw. Mm-hmm. And this is just one example. Uh, I, I think overall, the uh, uh, employees of, of these companies and uh, whether they're Russian or Ukrainian, they're overwhelmingly asking the companies to support Ukraine. Uh, uh, compared to, for example, 2014, when there was a debate of who is right, uh, there is no debate here. It's it's really uh, Putin versus the world. And so companies are helping uh, in many ways. Yeah. But I want to ask you one last question. It's kind of a kind of a difficult, complicated one. Daniel Charles asks, I sympathize with the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. However, as a Nigerian-born American looking to help, I'm somewhat torn due to the images, reports, and events of discrimination against people of color, mostly African students trying to flee Ukraine. How can the case be made to Africans looking to help but seeing the images of discrimination be reconciled, considering the genocide slash invasion the Ukrainians are currently facing themselves? Yes, we have seen these images, and, and, and uh, this was discussed among uh, volunteers. Uh, uh, to some extent, uh, you know, these images uh, arose because there was a stampede at the Kiev uh, train station, and uh, uh, you know, there were a number of people, you know, both uh, you know, students from uh, African countries and local students and the elderly who were not treated well. Um, so uh, I think. It's very important to understand that uh, these can be used for propaganda from Russia, and they indeed try to amplify that. So um, there were a number of other cases not related to this, where, again, Russian propaganda would take some images and blow them out of proportion. Uh, in this case, um, <clears throat> just the number of students, the, just the sheer number of students in Ukraine from mm-hmm. these countries uh, shows that Ukraine is welcoming the students yeah. and is treating them well. Yeah. We're talking with Ukrainian tech workers about what they're doing to aid the war resistance and provide help to the people of Ukraine. We've been joined by Bowden Kitt, head of product for Tumblr, based in Ukraine and helping manage a team called Colo. Bowden, thanks so much for joining us and please stay safe. Thank you, Alexis. Thanks for having me. We've also been joined by Igor Markov, a member of the board of directors for Nova Ukraine. It's a well-established nonprofit that is helping people in Ukraine. He's a research scientist at Meta. Thank you so much, Igor. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.